0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter. I have an exciting announcement to make. I am offering a chance to win a free 30-minute consultation with me. Entering is very simple. Just share an episode on any social media platform, tag me, or send a screenshot to hpopodcast at gmail.com. This is important because if you don't tag share with me, I may not see it and be able to enter you in the raffle. You can enter as many times as you want. There will be a winner announced during the show intro at the beginning of each month. I appreciate all the listeners who have participated in this so far. It really does go a long way in helping me grow the show when you share the episodes you like with your friends, family, and followers. Also, a new way to enter the raffle is to submit a show review on your favorite podcast platforms. This month's winner is Christy. She actually won with an Instagram submission on her profile, which is at Christy Runs Cali. Christy, I will reach out to you on Instagram to set up your 30-minute consultation. All the ways to support the show is you can head to the show landing page, which is just zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. There you will be able to find access to the show Patreon page where you can actually access shows early and ad-free by subscribing to the show on Patreon. You can also donate in other ways on that landing page as well as access the full catalog of episodes, descriptions, show notes, and transcripts if you're interested in diving into some of the previous episodes. I do want to give a quick shout out to my Endurance Training Simplified series of episodes. It's gotten quite long. So I listed them in the show notes. You can link to each one of those there. But if you're looking to start your endurance journey or just really fine tune it, I have a whole series of episodes that deal with just training principles in general and the different components that go into it between like easy running, speed work with short intervals, long intervals, long run development, the mental side of training all sorts of different stuff. So check those out in the show notes if you're interested in refining your endurance training. If you'd like a little bit of extra support in your training, I'm actually launching a new coaching package. So this new one is actually a group training process that is online. What it is, is if you subscribe to it, you will get access to my full catalog of pre-made endurance plans, which range from 5K up to 100 mile come in multiple levels in multiple different durations. And you have access to that as long as you're subscribed. So if you decide to train for a specific distance or event, all you got to do is let me know and I send you the copy of that particular training program. But what comes with it is what is important in my opinion, is when you're subscribed to this new coaching group coaching package, you will also be able to attend a weekly meeting with me and the other group members where we will cover topics that I find important for your endurance training journey, as well as questions and schedule adjustments that you have submitted beforehand, and then also some live questions from the group. The group size is gonna be limited to 30 though, so make sure you sign up soon because I will be starting this program before the end of 2023 to make sure people have access to this by the start of the new year. You can find information on that by just heading to my website at zackbitter.com. Or linking to it in the show notes. Supporting the show this year are my friends at Element Electrolytes and Delta G Ketones. I have full descriptions about how I use both of these products in my training and racing at the end of the show. So if you're interested in checking that out, please stick around after this episode. For now, just some discounts and promotions from both of these products. Element Electrolytes is offering a free sample pack with your first purchase. Just go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. They have a no questions asked money back guarantee if you are unsatisfied. They also just released their warm beverage winter collection, which now includes raspberry chocolate. I just checked it out. It will be in my morning coffee protocol this winter. Delta G ketone is the exogenous ketone company that has almost all of the research behind its formula. They are trusted by professionals around the world. You can get 20% off. With code BITTER20, just go to DeltaGKetones.com. There you can also sign up for a free consultation where they will help you understand how their product may fit best in your lifestyle, and then you can compare it to mine. Links to both of these products can be found in the show notes as well as the show sponsor landing page, which is ZachBitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. How are you feeling after, I guess you've had... A little over a week to kind of recover so i'm guessing your legs are probably starting to bounce back a bit
1: yeah the legs are okay uh the head is not that good i think it's a combination between jet lag and uh, and the race yeah yeah how long were you in the states before the race uh i came in tuesday before so okay but uh, i think so you didn't have
0: too much time to acclimate
1: no i think it was a good thing uh, because, uh, I was pretty, uh, um, not so sleepy in the morning. So, uh, I think it was a good thing for the race. I was like, it was easy to get up, uh, early and, uh, eat breakfast and, uh, do my thing. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was fun to watch the race this year because for one, you had reached out to me a little bit before just kind of asking about the course itself because i think you had had your eyes on doing something something flat and fast in the 100 mile distance and you know i've been on that course a couple times so when you reached out i was really excited because i've been following your career and met you at world championships for the 100k in the past and i was like if there i've been confident that the tunnel hill 100 mile is a sub 11 and a half hour course and i'm just was waiting for Someone to show up and do it, yeah <laughs> i've given it a shot a couple of times, but I haven't had a day that would get close enough to sub eleven and a half, but when you said you were signing up, I was like, you oh, love might be the man for the job. This could be an interesting one, so uh I got uh following the race and was just excited to see kind of the splits play out over the over the course of the day, so I mean, today I want to chat to you about Tunnel Hill One hundred, what went into the training for that, the race itself, but also just kind of your your entire career as an ultra marathon runner, because I think as the sport gets more competitive, it gets more and more difficult to be somebody who kind of enjoys the full offerings of what the sport has from the mountains to the roads, to the tracks and all that stuff. And you've been somebody who has done, done quite well at dabbling in a variety of different stuff. And I'm always interested to hear from people like that who don't just necessarily focus on one aspect of the sport.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it would be a fun conversation, I think. Uh, it was, it has been a wild ride. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, I have to ask you too,
0: I think the first time we met in person was at the World Championship 100k 2016 in Spain. And I remember that one and uh, Sweden's team specifically because after the race... Team Sweden and Team USA. We went out and uh, indulged in some of the fine wine and cheese that was offered in the in the in Spain, and had a good time both on the course as well as after the course. So um, I remember you were on that team. I believe that was your first hundred K Championships. Am I right about that, or had you done it before then?
1: Yeah, it was the the first year I did flat one hundred, uh, and uh, I got in in the world champs. Team uh, the same year, and uh, managed to do pretty good. I think. Yeah, mm. yeah,
0: yeah. I was looking at your world championship performances, and that was actually one of the reasons why I was excited to see what you would do at Tunnel Hill. Because just looking at kind of how the trends went with that, you you had some good performances where you were like tenth or just outside the top tenth, and running in kind of the mid to high six hour range, and then this last previous championships, you went there and moved up a bit, finished seventh with a six and a half hour 100K, which in my mind, a six and a half hour 100K is suggestive of having the potential to you know dip under 11 and a half hours for sure on a course like Tunnel Hill. And my next question always with that is, okay, there is a big enough difference between a flat 100K and a flat 100 mile, where you can be a really good 100K runner. And if you don't know how to execute a flat hundred mile course that your skills may work against you to some degree. Cause you can get out a little too aggressively and they just pay dearly. And on a course like tunnel Hill, where you have that slight uphill on the out and back, the second out and back, you come down that to finish. So if you have legs, you can come flying down that last spot. And that was the part where I misstepped in 2018 is I didn't give myself enough legs really to really take advantage of that downhill at the end and gave back a fair bit of time. So what I wanted to do is look at what your splits looked like when you ran six and a half hours of 100K and just gauge, is Elov going to be the guy who's going to be conservative enough early on to make this happen, or is he going to be the guy who goes out so fast in the beginning that he pays for it dearly at the end? And your splits at world 100K were about as good as I've ever seen at 100K championships in terms of being fairly close to even between 50K first 50K and second 50K. Um, I mean, that race always gets out fast, so you're probably going to have a slight positive split just to be kind of in it, so to speak. But I was really impressed with your splits. as how you arrived at six and a half hours. And I was thinking to myself, if you love paces himself, right, that first 50 miles, it's going to be exciting to see what you can do the second half. Um, talk to me a little bit about just strategy with these flat races. Do you, do you have a pacing strategy that you tend to kind of
1: look at when you're deciding how to kind of put yourself out there? uh i i look uh, both on the pacing uh, uh it depends on uh, how good the training has been how my confident in pacing is and uh but i also try to look how i feel in, in the in the pacing uh, during the race because uh in 100 i don't i don't want to uh, go too fast but uh, it should be uh, a bit fast i think uh, it's it's still like uh it's not that far but it's far like uh, are you going out too fast your legs can uh like uh, be trash after halfway like so I, I i try to find the the perfect spot uh, like uh, where i can not lose too much in the end and uh and uh, even more so in the 100 miles, because it's uh, another 60K. Uh, so you have to have uh, that endurance. Uh, but uh, this time, it's, it's uh, maybe the second time I tried to run faster at 100 miles. Uh, and uh, this time, it's actually the first time when I focused on it for a longer time, like really building up for it. So uh i got into it like uh, i really want to try to feel really uh relaxed uh, for a very long time during this race so uh, that was my aim aim goal to really feel relaxed just do my thing with the uh, nutrition and uh, like build up uh, mile after mile like uh, consistency and not uh, doubt myself that I can run this fast like
0: Mm -hmm. yeah the confidence to be able to stick it is definitely a part of it because I think of it as like you have this you kind of you're dealing with two batteries your physical battery and your mental battery so if you doubt yourself and in your mind you're constantly second guessing what could be an appropriate effort that could become problematic because you can just wear yourself out mentally from just stressing out essentially about not being able to do it. So coming in with the confidence that you think you can actually hit the paces you're looking at makes it a lot more manageable on that mental side of things. Um, I'd like to hear about kind of the mental approach that you took for the race itself, but I do also want to rewind a little bit and just since you mentioned it, talk a little bit about your training as – far as preparing for the tunnel hill 100 mile when when did you decide i'm going to begin a training cycle for a flat 100 miler and once you did did you have like a strategy at which you were going to kind of employ throughout the the training in terms of like benchmarks you were going to try to hit or specific workouts you wanted to do that would suggest you would be ready
1: uh yeah Uh, i think uh, i decided to go for tunnel hill Uh, Maybe it was right before Ultravasan this year. Uh, So it was in maybe early August, I decided. Uh, So I had an Ultravasan 90k uh, in uh, maybe 20th of August. Uh, And and then I was like, uh, see where how much my body took damage from that and then start building up. For this race. Uh, uh, I got really sore from comrades this year. Uh, so I don't think I really got uh, in shape for ultravasan in time. So I didn't uh, really get uh, all out on that day. Uh, so just the second weeks off after the, that race, I felt like ah, I can start training right now. Uh, not do to, too much, but uh, this weekend I can do like one hundred and twenty k, and then starting to build up uh, towards higher mileage. Uh, so I had a plan. I counted the the weeks uh, before Tunnel Hill, and uh, I considered I have uh, I can do three blocks with uh, three weeks. Uh, where I can put two high mileage weeks and one a little bit lower, so uh, that was my uh, aim strategy to do like uh, three weeks blocks uh, to push it a little bit and then uh, 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 recover for one week to to have the also have the mental. Uh, capacity during the training to, like, push it a little bit. Uh, I think uh, my sweet spot is uh, between maybe 180 to 210 kilometers a week. Uh, much more of, uh, I think, uh, it's, it uh, tends to be maybe a little bit too much. Uh, but uh, so I, my high mileage week was between 170 to 113 213 kilometers mm-hmm. yeah that sounds
0: high and reasonable to me I think the part where people go wrong with mileage like that is they don't back off of it at all <laughs> and then they find themselves doing that on a, such a frequent basis versus it sounds like you kind of listen to your body and work up to it peek at that and then probably taper a little bit as you're kind of getting closer to the event so you're able to make something that would maybe be unsustainable in the long term, sustainable in the short term in order to get a race in. And then it's about just kind of nailing that recovery piece to the puzzle after the race itself. So um, you can correct me if I'm wrong about any of that in your particular experience, because I know you've been around long enough to know kind of the ins and outs of going into one training cycle in the next. Yeah. Did you do any sort of speed work during those higher mileage weeks? Or is that something you typically address earlier in the training?
1: Uh, I had, uh, especially during my high mileage weeks, uh, I did maybe one interval session a week. uh, Maybe with uh, half marathon intensity uh, during uh, like uh, 1k intervals. So just uh, one interval session a week. Otherwise, it was just uh, more or less distance uh, running, maybe, and uh, one uh, long run, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I was looking at your Strava just to kind of see some of the stuff that you were doing to prepare before this interview, and it did look like you had come on a couple things that stuck out, One or a few things, actually. One was consistent volume. At the intensity that you were going to be targeting at Tunnel Hill, which you know was in that kind of mid to high six minute range. Then there was that kilometer repeat, which looked like it was probably around your threshold intensity. Tell me a half marathon for you is probably about threshold, somewhere in that neighborhood, I would guess. And then a long run. And it looked like a pretty good blend of workouts. The one thing I wanted to ask you about is when you're doing your long run for something like a hundred-mile is there a number you're typically targeting for that or a time duration? Um, I always find it to be an interesting question for ultra marathon runners because they're sort of like the traditional long run that we're looking for from like an adaptation standpoint. But then you get these long races like a hundred miles where like, there's probably some reason to go beyond that at times just to work on things like gear, nutrition, pacing, and everything like that. How do you go about structuring your long run development?
1: Uh I think it's uh, easier for the 100 mile. The 100 mile pace is better for the long, long runs because it's not that fast uh, to do for maybe 65k. Uh, but uh, if you're doing that for 100k, it's uh, not. Uh, it's uh, easier to do too much of the 100k speed. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. uh, so, and, uh, my strategy was to do the longest long runs, uh, well enough before the race. So I didn't get, uh, so it was a positive thing, not uh, a negative thing to, uh, to close to the race. Uh, so I tried to uh, get to the longest long runs uh, a little bit early on and then, uh, focus more of, uh, getting the feel for the speed and, uh, like just keep on building a little bit and, uh, and try to na- nail the, uh, the race, like feeling wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the paces you were hitting
0: too, it is one of those things where you really don't have opportunities to walk. If you're going to average what ends up being something in like, I think it was your pace was like a 651 per mile or something like that. Uh, I mean, that's fast enough where like if you find yourself walking, you're giving yourself a huge hurdle to get over because you're gonna have to make up for that with faster pacing stuff. So it's one of those things where I just think when those scenarios present themselves, having a cumulative volume over time at the intensity that you're going to have to run for that 100 miles becomes kind of that biggest target. So whether you do... A 65 kilometer long run or a 45 kilometer long run, it's probably more important to think about which one of those is going to impact your overall volume at the intensity you need to sustain for the duration of that 100 miler. And then the one that probably wins out is the one where you can get more volume by the end of the day over the course of the plan versus the one that kind of steals from future volume. So it is interesting to hear you talk about doing that longer, long run earlier in the the cycle so that you wouldn't necessarily step on the training that would be most pivotal for the race itself. Yeah. So you get to Tunnel Hill. Last year, they had terrible weather at Tunnel Hill. (laughs) So were you worried at all that? There was like... Going to be a potential that you did all this work and flew over from Sweden and you get a bunch of snow or anything like that?
1: Yeah, we saw that uh, and uh, just was just hoping for the best. And uh, it got, uh, Mm -hmm. we got a really perfect day, I think. Mm -hmm. And the thing,
0: I I think we talked about this a little bit actually on Instagram. I was uh, last year was the exception. I think almost every year at Tunnel Hill, it's just like what you had this year. So I tell people you should probably bank nine out of 10 times. You're going to get what you had versus something similar to last year. So I was happy that it ended up playing out that way and I didn't mislead you at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy too. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So you get out there on race day, weather's perfect. You probably know at that point, that's not going to be a variable. You have to be concerned with the race starts. What is your thought going in that first out and back? Cause I always find that one interesting because it's about a marathon. It's the first chance you get to kind of come back through the start finish line. You've got enough miles in your legs where you're probably starting to be able to piece together like how aggressive you have been so far versus how conservative or kind of where on that spectrum of conservative to aggressive. You're starting to kind of feel things out. Where were you at mentally when you kind of came through that
1: section? uh i felt uh, really strong for the day uh it it was a a bit of a chilly morning uh i don't know uh, what in fahrenheit but uh i felt a little bit cold in in my hands and uh, i used the uh, arm sleeves uh, and gloves until the marathon mark uh, before i took them off and uh, and the temperature was going up uh, and but uh, i felt uh, really chill during those that first marathon i was just like this feels so great uh, i feel perfect uh, the the speed is perfect I, I i found myself in a perfect pace and uh, after the marathon i just uh, like the first uphill that you talk about uh, up to tunnel hill was uh, i was thinking of, of that like I can let the pace go down a little bit on the uphill, and then let the pace go up in the downhill. Not too much, but uh, uh, enough that I I like uh, get the the pace back uh, from the mm. uphill running. If if it not uh, if I don't need too much uh, speed, so so I try to weigh that in uh, how fast I could go downhill. I think I nailed that first loop pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> I really think it was interesting when I started to come closer to 100 K and like, it felt like I was going faster and faster one time. Like, mm-hmm.
0: So you felt like kind of the momentum was picking up for you a little bit versus feeling like you were kind of starting to wear thin. Yeah. So, so. Mm-hmm. Do, I I know there were some other guys in the race that were also targeting some fast times that day. And it seemed at least from the live tracker that you took the lead early on, but maybe not by like a large margin or anything. So there were some guys in the early stages that were kind of just just behind you. Were you aware of that or thinking about that at all? Or was it just like, I know what effort I need to dial up? Whether I'm in the lead or in third place doesn't matter to me because if I nail this, my time is going to be what it is.
1: Uh, I, know, uh, I know I I have met uh, the guys before the race uh, who I knew were going for fast times. I met uh, Reese. Uh, I run with Reese. Uh, I I can't say his last name, but and uh, F- Phil Young. I I say hey mm-hmm. hi to and uh, Taggart. I knew. Was going out uh, fast so when i at the first uh, turnaround i said hey to them and uh, like i i knew who was going for the 100 miles so uh, i was uh, checking the time at the turnarounds how far behind they were so i I knew i think i had uh, the race in control all the time Uh, and uh, it wasn't until after halfway, I saw that the, they started to fade a little bit, but uh, otherwise they were pretty close. I think, I think they were like eight minutes behind in halfway maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to say
0: that at the halfway point, you were maybe around six minutes ahead of Taggart. And then it was interesting because they had video feeds of both of you guys coming through and... I mean, perception through a video camera can only tell you so much, but of the people coming through, you definitely looked kind of the most smooth and focused and the less kind of like, I would say anxious about everything. So at that point, I was thinking to myself, like, I think Elav probably knows what he's doing here. You didn't go out so fast that first 50 miles where it was suggestive that you were going to blow up or something like that. So it was kind of fun to, to pay attention to that. Did you... Pair that with any information, because my guess is your splits from the fifty mile mark to one hundred k, and then making that turnaround would have gotten you extra time on that group that were minutes behind you at the halfway mark. Did you also kind of pay attention to kind of where everyone was at at that point from on that that next turnaround to the second out and back?
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I counted the time uh, at the, every turnaround. I think uh just just to check but uh, it it Mm -hmm. was a fun thing to do when uh, i was like alone or like meeting other slower 50 milers 100 milers and uh Mm -hmm. was uh cheering them on uh but uh, it was a fun thing thing to do to check where where the competitors were uh, during the whole race so yeah that's an interesting point, too,
0: because it is one of those things where like you, although Tunnel Hill, as far as flat, runnable courses go, isn't the most boring, monotonous of them all, but it is still a lot of the same thing over and over again. So you have to find things to occupy your mind to some degree uh, outside of just kind of the the pursuit itself. And I do think kind of it offers that unique element where you can sort of gauge on a couple key points of the course where everyone else is. And like you said, there's a ton of people out there running it. So you get to see where everyone else is at, encourage one another and kind of gain a little momentum from everyone else out there chasing their own goals on it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So for me, there it's always been a kind of a pivotal spot on that course. When you come through that start finish area at what's like, I think between 76 and 77 miles or right before that last out and back up the tunnel hill and back when you came through there, what were you thinking at that point? Because I find like at that spot, you kind of have this, this sort of one or the other situation of, I feel like I've done this right, and I think now I can kind of just put the finishing touches on this. If I don't make any mistakes, things will be fine, and confidence kind of builds, versus I may have overreached a little bit, I got to really focus and hope for the best. Where was your mind at at that point?
1: Uh, at that point... Uh i started to feel like i have run a long way uh, but i i was still in a good uh, mood and a good confidence uh, but i i felt like the pace was slowly getting slower uh, so i was uh, uh i really didn't uh, i felt like i had it uh, but uh, this uh, last out and back will be harder like from until here it's been it's been easy but uh, now it's like just do the last out and back as good as i can Uh, so the uphill until tunnel hill was uh, where i maybe lost a little bit more that i than i wanted but i i tried to focus on well i i still have that downhill left so i I focus on try to get uh, get back some pace uh, during the downhill, and it uh, worked out pretty well, I think. mm mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. I would say that's how it looks watching the live stream too. When you came through that the start finish for that final out and back, my thought was, Elav will have to really blow up to not break twelve hours, and if he keeps it together, we could see a historically fast time in general, not just on the course at Tunnel Hill. Was there a point on that out and back where you started thinking, if I can really keep this thing going, I'm going to be able to go under 11 and a half hours. Was that ever on your mind during the day? Was that a goal going in? Or was that something that was sort of pre- presented itself at a certain point in the race and you thought this is on the table now? Uh,
1: the main goal w- going in uh, uh, outwards was uh, to break the, Course record and uh, Swedish record, and uh, and potentially or, or to go under twelve hours, uh, but uh, I also uh, was thinking more uh, and aiming the paces for like sub eleven and a half hours. I was thinking that on if I get the the best day, I I have the potential to go under eleven thirty. So we. I wrote uh, on my bottles. Uh, I wrote the time stamps for eleven thirty pace. So I looked at my bottles and saw how I was doing uh, for uh, going for the eleven thirty. Uh, so I think uh, I think the last time at uh, Tunnel Hill, I I think I had a little bit more than two minutes on eleven thirty. Maybe it it wasn't that. Perfect uh, timestamp for the station, but uh, s- somewhere close. So, so I, I had uh, the 11:30 in in mind during the whole race. Mm-hmm. That's a
0: good idea to put it on your bottles, so that you're just grabbing them at the right time and only thinking about that split when it becomes appropriate. Um, was there a point when you were kind of coming back down towards the finish line? Where you were like, "All right, I can empty the tank now," or was it just kind of like, "Keep doing what I'm doing, focus on the next mile at a time, and let's see where we get to when the when you hit the finish line?"
1: Uh, I was uh, on my way up to Tunnel Hill. I was uh, afraid pushing it too hard too early, uh, but uh, when I the, from Tunnel Hill the last time and down i i tried to push it all i could because then i felt like the finish line is close i i feel like how much i have in the tank left so i can push it uh after how i feel uh, what i have left i i will not bonk the last couple of kilometers i i i know maybe with the four and a half kilometers left i think. I really started pushing the last drops out. Mm-hmm. So I I tried to feel where I'm how much I could push it during the last 15k. Mhm. Yeah,
0: at at one point did you on the way down see where second place was and think to yourself I'm really putting together a solid race here relative to the rest of the field?
1: Yeah, I said uh I was uh saying hi to phil when i met him so uh, and and then i clocked him like almost an hour behind so then i uh but i i always felt like i had something good going on so uh, it didn't really matter how the other was doing i i I always felt like uh, i have something really special going on here the whole race Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you a little bit
0: about that because my perception with some of these flat hundred milers, a lot of times you do find yourself, especially by the end of it, that you're essentially just time trialing because you're far enough ahead of whoever's behind you that you could really slow down and still manage to get the win. But obviously your goal is to put together a really strong race and maximize your finishing time. Is having that like that a target because it sounds like sub 11 and a half hours was your a target it's just very much there and almost as like a rabbit for you to chase how important did you find that staying intact all day long to keeping that focus going since you did sort
1: of turn it into a one-man race by the end uh yeah i think uh, the main goal for the race was uh to go for a time rather than racing uh it was helpful to to see other guys going going out fast. It really helped. Like it's not just me; it's other guys pushing their limits. So it really helped with the moral for it. So, but but uh, I think uh, our main goal was going there to do something special with the uh, time wise, and uh, and see if anybody else uh, is keeping up with me and uh, if there's a race going on like Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah it's interesting just in in retrospect kind of thinking about just what all goes through your mind during these races i find the hardest question sometimes answer is like what were you thinking the entire time? Because I find like there are certain things that really just cement themselves in your head that maybe you were just thinking about on repeat a lot during the day. And then there's just inevitably a ton of things that probably went through your mind that is just sort of passive where you're never going to recall it. But in the moment it was there and it kind of becomes a little bit of a blur from all that. Um, but when you, when you cross the finish line under 11 and a half hours, new course record, fastest non-road surface course or record in the world that we've that that we've documented what was your initial emotions crossing that finish line what
1: were you thinking <laughs> i i think i said it uh in the camera i i, I think i said i i was done for the day and that that was yeah. uh, what i was the feeling i i'm done <laughs> and that was uh, uh unbelievably satisfying (laughs) yeah no doubt how how important is it for you when you
0: have a race like that where you look back and you see how just really perfect i would say to most to most degree your splits were uh in, in terms of just confirming to yourself that i didn't really leave a lot out i didn't leave a lot on the table or i really kind of found my best self that day or or was there spots where you thought hey if i could have done this a little differently maybe i would have run even faster
1: no i i think i had uh, i haven't found any really bad situations during the race i think i had a really solid race i did uh some uh, conscious things like uh when I started thinking about the outcome of the race, I, I told myself, not now, I right now I want to be here, not in the mm-hmm. future. Like I'm here. And now I think I also said it out loud to myself to not be in the future. So, so I, I think I managed to do all the things right. I had a nutrition plan out. Perfect. Uh, and uh, my stomach was good. The the temperature was perfect, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I, I like. It started to get harder during then, but uh, it is a, a lot of miles in my legs, so it's not weird. It's hard to do a negative split for a hundred miles. I think you you should be able to get close, but it's hard to get the negative split. Uh, for a hundred miles.
0: Mm-hmm. It's definitely hard. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of the things uh, the way I describe it is I would say like a very small margin to either side of even is probably going to be like the optimal operating zone. And it's not necessarily clear to me if that is slightly positive or slightly negative, that you're necessarily going to be faster than the other. I think it's like staying within that kind of relatively tight zone of even is going to probably be what suggests you kind of really executed well but who knows really it's like the sport is still kind of learning some of these things to to a large degree so it's fun to talk to people like yourself who've had you know races that have gone great like this one and then maybe ones that haven't so you kind of have an idea of where that edge is for yourself and what suggests what out there during it um you, you mentioned your fueling i'd be curious to hear a little bit more about kind of the protocol that you used in terms of what were you actually taking in during the day uh did you kind of calculate the amount of grams of uh carbohydrate or fuel that you took in throughout the course of the day and, and that sort of stuff if you don't mind sharing
1: yeah absolutely uh i was uh, aiming for uh, 85 grams uh, of carbs an hour uh, uh split by sports drink and gels so i had a uh, Every time I got uh, my support, I I got a a bottle. um, Maybe during the longer sections, I got 50 centiliters of sports drinks and a gel. And during the shorter sections, I got 250 milliliters of uh, sports drink, a little bit uh, easier and and a gel. So I I just used carbs for uh, my nutrition. For the race and then i had a uh, uh, coffee every third hour i think do you remember how much caffeine you were
0: taking in any given time or during those three hour intervals
1: yeah i had about it's a shot from my sponsor so it's a, it's actually a pre-workout shot uh that is 250 milligrams so it's uh, quite a lot.
0: But. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors are Element Electrolytes and Delta G Ketones. You can get a free sample pack of Element Electrolytes by going to drinkelement.com forward HPO and 20% off your order of Delta G Ketones by going to deltagketones.com and entering promo code BITTER20. Yeah. Well you're spreading it out to three hours, you and you're metabolizing caffeine a lot faster when you're when you're running a sub seven minute mild pace all day long. So there is that. You know, the, the fun the funny thing is they do suggest like three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight is kind of the performance dose of caffeine. And I from my own experience and with others, I find that there's sort of two options. One is to lean into that actual number, which you're probably you're probably on the high end of that three to six milligrams just with kind of if if my math is accurate, but you're you're within it if you're going to do that, you just need to be careful about how frequently you do it because you can't be doing that every hour no <laughs> um, but if you're spreading out every three hours you're probably getting you know you're probably staying in that zone uh I've had other people who are maybe just a little more sensitive to caffeine they 'll take that idea of three to six kilogram or three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight and they'll kind of target a total that it's probably similar to what you ended up taking in during that day but they're spreading it out a little more uh throughout that three hours so rather than having it all at once they maybe are having like 70 to 80 milligrams every hour um for that three hours and then kind of just repeating that and from what i gather like it tends to be kind of a little bit of a personal experience thing because people there is a range in terms of how people respond to caffeine but um, for what it's worth you kind of proved your theory your method to work well for you because it's hard to imagine that you felt like that was a deterrent at at all at all during the day given kind of how things played out yeah Um, I'm curious how you arrived at 85 uh, grams of carbohydrate is that something that you've just tested in training and racing in the past and found I can get up to 85 grams and not have a risk a, a large risk of stomach distress so i'm gonna go for 85 gr- or grams or is there something else that you've done that would suggest that that's a good target for you to do for something like tunnel hill uh
1: i usually uh, i've done more of the 100k races uh during the last years uh and uh i no. Uh, there I aiming for 100 grams an hour uh, because of uh, the higher speed but, but uh, mm-hmm. I think when you do a 100 mile uh, you go down to a lower pace and you, you be more of fat burning uh, so that was the reason I go got to down from 100 grams to 85 grams uh, and and you're also doing it for a longer period of time so you have to have a good stomach for a longer time because uh, during the 100k races it's it's a it's, it's a risk that uh, you got st- problem with your stomach during the end and uh, mm-hmm. especially during the end i think yeah but uh it's a it's a, a margin where where you can try to push it a little bit but i i think uh the reason was uh, that it's uh, eleven hour and uh, eleven and a half hours, and uh, my stomach. It's better to for my stomach to be at peace than try to push it too hard. And uh, I think my my stomach is pretty good with carbs during racing. So. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. Did
0: so at no point during the race you were feeling like. I may have a stomach issue.
1: It's kind of on edge. It was just pretty smooth all day long for you. Yeah, I, I might got some feeling like oh maybe a little bit too much now. But uh, then I got a really some periods where I didn't get anything in. So my stomach got to recover from that. So it, it was okay. It was some parts where I took a lot of the sports drink at the same time. So it was kind of a gambling, but uh, yeah. uh, then I got some time to recover from it. So it was okay. So it it never got any, to an issue. So,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that that is one of the issues that I think most people have when it comes to fueling. It can sometimes be, it's less of that they did too much overall and more that they did too much in one period of time. And they kind of gave themselves a little too much to kind of to balance. And that's what causes a lot of that kind of bottlenecking in the digestive tract. versus if you're just kind of like, which just sounds like what you were doing for the most part is just kind of like nibbling on your gels and sipping on your sports drink. So you're just sort of slow trickling it in, but at that 85 gram per hour frequency, and that probably is when you're feeling the best, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. uh, I I tried to get the, Uh, a a little bit of a bigger sip every maybe twenty to thirty minutes, so so I I almost uh, every time after every time I got something in, I had a period of time to recover from it as well. So I think it mm-hmm. was a good strategy. Do you ever do solid foods in races
0: that are longer than say eleven and a half hours, or are you typically just gels and sports drinks no matter what?
1: Yeah, I can uh, use bars, uh, and sometimes I have used uh, real food as well during 24 hours races and uh, mountain races like uh, the uh, UTCT 100 miles last year. Uh, I think I didn't eat uh, any food then, but uh, I ate uh, a couple of bars, I think. Is there a
0: duration where you start thinking, or maybe it's an intensity where you start thinking, all right, this is where I can start including solid foods to the protocol versus a race like Tunnel Hill where you're like, there's probably no reason for me to be doing a solid food option when I'm running these paces for this duration?
1: Yeah, it is easier to eat more solid food when going slower, absolutely. But uh, I haven't got any good experience with the uh, eating uh, especially real food i i I'm almost always get some stomach issues after eating uh something like that i i think i my stomach is best uh, with the uh, sports drinks during races overall
0: mhm yeah i think i'm on the same page as you with that i know like when i ran 1119 for 100 miles it was all liquid um, most of my races that are under 12 hours, it's, I've done some where I've introduced some like crackers and things like that. Uh, but I find that that's the thing I get the least tolerant of as the day progressives. And as long as I'm not getting kind of just nauseated from the liquids and the more chewable type stuff. Um, like the gels or the gums, gummy type things, I tend to go that direction as the primary part. It's when you start getting into like 15, 16, 17, 18 hours is where I think sometimes then it's like the intensity's low enough where some solid food, or maybe it's just you're out there so long, you just start getting to a point where your stomach's like, Give me something with a contrast to it. Give me something crunchy, salty, savory. <laughs> and and you find yourself like wandering over into an aid station looking for that versus something else or planning for it in, in the best of cases. Um, I'd be curious, too, because I do want to kind of transition a little bit because you have so much more to your career than just the roads and the tracks and the fast, uh, you know, routes. You you came over to the United States and I believe it was twenty eighteen and mixed it up with some fast locals for uh, the Black Canyon 100K and ended up getting yourself a golden ticket, which is an automatic entry into the Western States 100, and then you came over. Uh, I'm not sure if you actually, maybe you stayed that whole time, but you may have gone back um, back to Sweden between, but you ran route right Western States, which are, when we pair that with, you said, Ultra Trail, Cape Town, those are races that most are going to consider trail, it, ranging from runnable trail at black canyon all the way up to a real mountain trail when you're at ultra trail cape town i'd love to hear like your perspective of that side of the sport versus the more runnable stuff and then maybe a little bit by how you decide when to do one versus the other
1: yeah it was uh, in 2017 i ran the black canyon to get the golden ticket uh and uh it's a uh, I I do it uh, by what I feel like to do uh, when I choose my races. So it's it is uh, a little bit depending on have I done too much roads recently? I might might get the like now I want some more adventurous stuff because uh, mm-hmm. I think it's more of an adventure going for a mountain race than it is a a, a road race. Uh, So it's uh, and especially during training, you go out in nature and you can try new trails and you still get uh, good training in and like uh, it's more uh, it's more of a fun training, if you say. But uh, I think uh, uh, also I really like the the road running as well, uh, because uh, you get. I I get more confident in the road running training than in my mountain running training because I, I'm a better road runner than mountain runner. Uh, I think, uh, and I have I have to go for the the longer stuff to get competitive. I think. Hmm. Yeah, my experience maps what you said
0: perfectly. I always find that there's a point where. Uh, I'm like you, I'm more confident on the runnable stuff in terms of, I can see the splits, I can see the development. And when I'm standing on a starting line of that, I feel like I can trust it a little bit better. And that does get like kind of boring and monotonous enough over time, where even if physically I'm probably capable of going through another training cycle and racing a flat runnable course, there's like this mental reset where you can kind of just like take a break From the more exact splits and just the repetitive monotony of running flat things all the time and going out. And like you said, going for like an adventure or an exploration or stretching your long run out a little bit further because you're doing a little bit more hiking and less one dimensional type movements. And then when I come back to like doing something more runnable after that, I feel like my. I feel like I just given my, like my brain an off season (laughs) where it feels kind of refreshed and energized and excited to start doing some of that stuff that I was starting to get bored with before that. Yeah, exactly. So there's a balance there. It sounds, um, after, I mean, ultra Vossen that race has changed a little bit over the years, if I'm not mistaken to where, when it started, it was very much more runnable, but now there's a, I think there's a little more trail aspect to that race now is, am I right wrong about that?
1: Yeah, especially this year they uh, uh, changed the start. Uh, to uh, usually you go up on a dirt road. The first thing that happens, and now they uh, draw it uh, another section. So you're going up a more a bigger hill instead, and uh, run more trails for the first. Uh, I think 12k. Uh, and uh, especially this year, we we in the front pack r- took a wrong turn after seven oh, no. uh, k, so we ran an extra four kilometers, <laughs> uh, but uh, managed to bounce back in the end. So, uh, so I, I especially this year the time is uh, really off uh, for to for the compare to compare it for. Uh, earlier years. And uh it also was uh, already 2k longer than earlier. So it's earlier it was 90k, it should've been 92k this year, but it got to 96k. So so, <laughs> so it's uh this year was a little bit weird, I think. Mhm. Yeah, I I'm
0: my, I'm curious as to after your you uh, after Ultra boss and and then, you know, you parlayed that into your training for tunnel hill and then the race at tunnel hill do you suspect you've got some trails in your future or are you hungry to go and uh do some more flat running for your next build-up or have you even gotten to that point of deciding yet uh
1: no no not uh i'm not uh, decided on my rec- next race uh i definitely think uh, i will do more of the runnable stuff in the future but also uh go to run the the trails. i think i i will keep on going for both Uh, but i I think i uh, have the most potential in the flatter stuff
0: cool i know we talked a little bit in the beginning about world hunter kilometer championships and i don't believe they've announced yet where it's going to be hosted next year but it is on the calendar for next year do you have a qualifier yet? Or actually, maybe I should ask, how do you decide on the team in Sweden? I know in the United States, there's like standards you hit that they usually prioritize, but there's also some races that they look at to very favorably in terms of selecting a six-person team. How does that
1: process work in Sweden? Uh, I think uh, they usually have a, a time to run for the 100 miles uh, or they that you should do some races that is similar, that proves you uh, can do a good 100k race. Uh, so it depends a little bit when you are doing the races as well. You you have to... If you haven't done a 100k race just now, uh, you have to, f- like, and they know your potential, then you have to show your fitness in some way, elf uh, somehow so Mm -hmm. usually they maybe look at uh, the swedish championship uh, on the 100k to see who's uh, able to or who who fits for the 100 world champs yeah and then interesting so are yeah oh sorry i didn't
0: mean to interrupt you um I was just going to ask so is that something you think you'll probably try to do next year assuming it it happens?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh I really want to have a strong team uh during a 100k world champs and uh, I've got uh, unlucky the last couple of times because we have been uh either we have been just two people finishing or or just uh, two people going to the the race uh, like Two men, uh, so I haven't been running a team race in the World Champs yet. So I, I really think we have guys who can uh, qualify for the hundred k. That is, uh, who can do really good hundred k. I we had uh, this year's uh, Swedish champion ran a six thirty, and uh, we also had uh, the week before Tunnel Hill uh, a guy, another guy. Uh, who was second at the Swedish Champs, uh, who broke the Swedish six-hour record. In uh, He ran uh, 94.45k for six hours, which is uh, comparable for Jonas' uh, Swedish record on 100k if he had continued running in the same pace. So... Mm-hmm
0: yeah no it sounds like you are really starting to get excited about a potential team those times would suggest with your six and a half hour perhaps faster potential now in the 100k that you could put together a very very competitive team that would definitely be looking at a podium position if all of you end up running in the mid six hours on championship day Uh, I do you mentioned Jonas and Jonas is one of those guys who when I think of uh Uh, Swedish ultra marathon runners, his name comes up at the top of my mind often, because he's had a long history at the world championships, I believe, and you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, he's been second there either three or four times and first once, but has also competed quite well at the comrades marathon, which is a very good suggestive performance in terms of how you'll probably do it like a hundred kilometer type distance. What was it like kind of getting into ultra running having someone like that as like the
1: more or less kind of the the representative of ultra running for for Sweden yeah is uh, he was the guy that was uh, the inspiration when i started uh, coming into ultra running because uh, it was just the time uh, when he did uh, second place at Comrades and also getting those uh, good uh, competitive uh, world champs and uh, also did great at trail running. So he was an inspiration uh, when I started ultra running and, uh, and then he, when I started building up and getting better, we, we also started to get uh, to meet here and there. Uh, we, we ended up uh, doing Western States at the same year. So, uh, I got home off the Black Canyon and uh, uh, we two together got back for the Western States uh, trail camps. So we tried the course together and uh, and then also uh, got to live together during the race, uh, the days before the race. And uh, so he's become a good friend and uh, also been an inspiration for me especially during my early years in the ultra running. Yeah, I bet. I, the
0: one thing I always think of when I think of Jonas too is the year he won the world championships, he did this. I think this was the first or second, probably the second year ultra Vossen was an event. And back then it was, it was still off road, but it was a very runnable 90 kilometers and he ran a split on that race that was suggestive of just world-class ultra marathon running that I think will unfortunately get somewhat lost in the history books because of the way the course has changed over the years and just the, you know, the way that things get focused on. It was like four weeks before World Championships, and he ended up winning World Championships anyway. But I believe he said that. He probably still had a little bit of Ultravaasan in his legs at on race day at World Championships that year. So did you ever kind of comb through his splits at Ultravasa in that year and, and look at just how
1: fast that actually was? Yeah, it was an insane insane race of him. Especially the second half, I think, was when he just went off. Like or or it was just like he he left the other ones behind. I think it was uh Max King racing that year, who mm-hmm. was uh, second. I think he stopped to change shoes or something, and then Jonas just took off. He put uh, yeah. some really fast splits uh, after the halfway point, and then just dropped Max <laughs> from the race. Uh huh. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I'm not sure if that, that might have been Max. I know I'm pretty sure he was there that year. I know I've heard stories of Patrick Reagan changing his socks at one point during Ultravasson. And getting some some heat for that because like I think he was new enough to the sport where he thought like this is just something you're supposed to do and and everyone's like no 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 Pat like if you
1: feel good leave the socks on <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's it's happened it's uh, happened a couple of times I think I I think it was the two first years because I think the same thing happened I I think uh it, was it Steve way the first year that. Uh, yeah, uh, got dropped by Jonas at the same spot. And then I, I'm pretty sure it was Max King in 2015. Uh, but uh, I don't know if Patrick... Uh, Patrick Patrigan have been there like three times, I think. And he has been like second, uh, second, third or something. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I don't know yeah. which years... It's twenty seventeen. I know because he was the guy I was battling with when I won.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a it's a it's a fun event to follow and one that
0: I've been wanting to go to and just have never actually got around to putting it on my calendar for racing uh, yet, despite it kind of being on my radar for quite some time now. But um, I guess I can. I I mean, we can talk about other things if you want to share anything. But I would also like to just kind of touch on how you go about recovering from a race like Tunnel Hill where you, know, you spend a lot of physical and mental energy in the training and then you have a race like you did, you probably feel like you need maybe a little bit more mental recovery from the whole experience, traveling internationally, jet lag, just kind of giving yourself enough time to feel like you're ready to kind of go through those paces again. What, do you have a protocol for post-race recovery or is it very intuitive based on
1: kind of how your body and mind are feeling from one day to the next? Uh, it depends a little bit uh, what's next uh, and uh, when this is the last race of the season I, I'm i a little bit more relaxed uh, how I recover I, I usually try to sleep much uh, as much as I can or at least as much as I feel I need to uh, and uh, otherwise I try to get running or if I need to do something other thing like cross training uh, I do that but uh, I, I don't have a specific plan after the race I should do that and that and that and I I usually do go by feel I think
0: hmm yeah I always tell people with running it's kind of weird because there are things that would look very subjective that are actually probably better measures of whether you're doing something right or wrong. And one of those things I think is recovery where your body kind of knows when it's fatigued and it knows when it's ready to go. And it will it will tell you that if you're really good at paying attention to it. And I would imagine someone who's been around for as long as you have, you've gotten pretty good at looking and finding those signals of when it's time to kind of start ramping things back up again and when it's better just to leave it on pause for a little bit longer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really different from time to time. So this time I think I really got everything out of me. So I believe I can be a sore for a, especially mentally uh, uh, a couple of weeks after. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. Well, Elav, it's been great to catch up hear about your world-class performance at the Tunnel Hill 100-mile as well as some of the other races that you've done in the past. Before I let you go, if you want to let the listeners know where they can find you, if you have a website or social media handles and things like that, um, feel free to share them, and then I will also include those in the show notes.
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, the only thing is uh, I use uh, Instagram for most of my stuff. So it's uh, Volson and also my uh, gang from Okelbu Mafian. So, Okelbu Mafian at uh, Instagram and uh, Elov Olson at Instagram as well.
0: Perfect. And that's Olson, O L S S O N, for those of you who are going to look it up and not head to the show notes where it will be linked. So, Elov, thanks again for coming on. I uh, look forward to seeing what you do next and I wish you the best in the recovery offseason part of your career.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, everyone, if you're still here, you're sticking around to hear about how I use the show sponsor Element Electrolytes and Delta G Ketones. For Element, they make an electrolyte supplement. So what I know about me is that I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes per liter of fluid loss. So what that means is if I go out for a run and I lose two liters of sweat, then I'm also going to lose roughly 1,228 milligrams of electrolytes with it, which ironically happens to be about one packet of element. So what I likely will do is if I'm going out for a longer training session or I'm going to be out in the heat and sweating a lot, I'm going to supplement the fluid intake I have with electrolyte to make sure i have that stuff in balance the way this usually looks for me is i'll wake up in the morning and i'll have a cup of coffee and i'll put half of one of those packets in with my coffee it will be one of their chocolate flavors though because it's coffee after all i'm not going to stick one of the fruity flavors in there So that gets me kicked off. Then what happens is I go out for the workout and then I am drinking basically to thirst, but I am also targeting some numbers at times when it's hot enough and I know what my sweat loss is. But generally speaking, for every liter of fluid I'm taking in, I'm matching that with 614 milligrams of electrolytes to make sure I'm staying on top of that and remaining hydrated throughout that training session. If you're interested in a deep dive and figuring out more about your fluid loss and electrolyte needs, I actually have a couple podcast episodes that might be interesting to you. One is episode 358 with Andy Blow, where I go over all things hydration. And he talks about how I came up with that 614 milligram loss number and how you can maybe find out about yours, as well as how much fluid you are losing with some simple at-home tests. Also, I did an episode a while back, episode 300, which is just titled personalizing workout hydration so check out both of those if you're interested in doing a deep dive into your hydration and electrolyte needs something new i added to my training and racing this year are exogenous ketones the research for exogenous ketones is still in its early stages but there is a lot coming out and it is getting more convincing in my opinion to the degree where i wanted to try it out i actually stress tested it During a 15-hour, 100-mile run at the Rocky Raccoon 100 earlier this year as a way to confirm whether it was something I was going to include in my racing protocol. One thing I was a little nervous about with exogenous ketones, like I am with anything I'm ingesting during an ultramarathon, is what is it going to do to digestion. I was interested in the recovery research for some time now with exogenous ketones and there are some newer research studies now that suggest it could also have some performance applications as well if you're able to tolerate it and get it in the right dose. So when I decided to try it out, I went with Delta G ketones because they are the ketone ester that basically all the research that has promising effects is tied to and it's their formula that's being used in those research studies so a lot of times you'll just go and look for an exogenous ketone and there's all sorts of potential issues with that whether it's a dosage or just the incorrect type and it's not actually going to do what the research suggests it would do so to me it was looking at if i want to potentially get the benefits that these could be bringing i need to be using the one that they're actually showing the research with so that was delta g ketones they actually received the DARPA funding and grant to actually put together that formula. So like I said in the, the intro message, they have 50-plus published studies and are part of 20-plus ongoing studies. My protocol with this right now, and this is something where I am evolving as I kind of do more with it, but at the moment, I'll do a bottle of their ketone performance, Delta G performance, and that is their little blue bottle. So I'll take one of those about 20 minutes before a big key training session, and that's it. If it's a race day, though, I'll do that same protocol, but I will take another bottle about every three hours after that. So if I'm doing something that's longer duration like that 15-hour Rocky Raccoon effort I just described, I would be doing that again at 3, 6, 9, and 12 during that particular performance. So like I said in the intro, if you want to chat with one of their experts, you can actually go to DeltaGKetones.com and they have a consultation service there right now where they will help you understand the research and whether your lifestyle is even something that they would, would be worth considering it for. So if you want to get a little more information on that, that option is available to you. Links to both Delta G ketones and Element Electrolytes can be found in the show notes as well as at zackbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter.